Al Jazeera podcast. It's been a week of rarely seen visits in the Middle East. Israel's tourism minister is in Saudi Arabia to attend a United Nations conference on world tourism. This has never happened before. The communications minister of Israel will also visit the Saudi kingdom. Israeli officials landing in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia on official business. And these visits are signs of what could be a tectonic shift in the region. Saudi Arabia and Israel normalizing their relations. Israel and Saudi Arabia have never had diplomatic relations. But today, both countries' leaders appear to want normalization, and the U.S. is actively negotiating its details. The Saudi kingdom also supports Palestinian statehood. It says a deal would ease the Palestinians' lives, and it's making gestures towards Palestinians, too. Naif Sudairi arrived in the Occupy West Bank to meet Palestinian officials as the head of the first Saudi delegation to Palestine since 1993. But Palestinians want an end to the Israeli occupation of their land, not just ease for their lives. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas had a say about that at the United Nations General Assembly last month. Those who think peace can prevail in the Middle East without Palestinian people enjoying their full legitimate and national rights would be mistaken. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his right-wing coalition are adamant in making no concessions to the Palestinians. We must not give the Palestinians a veto over new peace treaties with Arab states. So what do the Palestinian people get out of all of this? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel would be a big deal. The United States has been pushing for what it calls a more integrated Middle East. Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security Advisor, is deeply involved. It would help create a circumstance in which uh, the countries of the region could collaborate on everything from economics to technology to regional security. But as for what Palestinians think, who better to talk to than a man who once ran for the presidency? My name is Dr. Mustafa Barghouti. I'm the leader of the Palestinian National Initiative. I'm an elected member of the Palestinian parliament. I uh, ran for president in 2005 and came second. And uh, I uh, was nominated for Nobel Peace Prize in 2010. We are very grateful that you could come onto the podcast with your accolades and your wisdom and all of your experience behind you. Let's just dive right in because you were based in Ramallah. So there was a new face in Ramallah this week. A Saudi delegation is concluding its visit to Ramallah, the first time that's happened in 30 years. Saudi Arabia's non-resident ambassador to the occupied Palestinian territories, Naif al-Sudari, met with President Mahmoud Abbas and other senior officials and confirmed the kingdom's commitment to an independent Palestinian state. 
Saudi Arabia's newly appointed envoy to the Palestinian Authority presented his credentials to President Mahmoud Abbas. How has the mood been in the city since then? I think there is an exaggeration of the matter in the media, much more than the public interest uh, to the issue. It is just natural that Saudi Arabia has recognized Palestine long time ago, and uh, they could, uh, they should have uh, a representative to the Palestinian Authority. The interesting point here is about uh, the fact that the ambassador was also nominated to be the consul general in Jerusalem. And the big question here, whether Israel would allow that. Uh, from our side, uh, we welcome that because Jerusalem to us is a Palestinian city and it's part of Palestine. I know you said that this is something the media is more interested in than the people, but why do you think it's taken three decades? I don't know really why, uh, but I know that uh, much of the interest here is that uh, some people are trying to link this visit to the issue of normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And that is an issue, of course, that uh, did not happen yet and hopefully will not happen before uh, Israel is uh, uh, do what they were uh, supposed to do, according to the Arab Peace Initiative, uh, which was adopted by Saudi Arabia and presented by Saudi Arabia at the time. The important proposal put forward by His Royal Highness, Crown Prince Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, can be the foundation. Based on the principle of land for peace, it provides a clear and compelling vision. And that says no normalization with Israel without first ending the Israeli military occupation of the occupied Palestinian territories and before the creation of a Palestinian state. That peace initiative, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But you said that that is what um, people are linking this visit of the envoy to this wider push for normalization. Do you link those two things? Do you think they're related? No, I'm not sure. Uh, because the whole issue of normalization is really still in the beginning and it's not clear at all. Uh, it's not clear what conditions the United States will be able to meet. What we've heard from different uh, Saudi officials, and I've heard it personally in several interviews with Saudi representatives, that they will not depart from the Arab Peace Initiative. And they will not depart from their demand of ending occupation and uh, the seeing a Palestinian state in the occupied territories on the borders of 1967. I hope they will stick to that. I want to get your thoughts on what this push has looked like so far. It has not happened yet, but pieces are being laid out in place. So last week, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman gave an interview to Fox News in his country. It was in Saudi Arabia, and he's speaking in English. These are two notable things that don't happen often. And he was talking about his country negotiating a deal to normalize relations with Israel. Every day we get closer. It seems it's, for the first time, a real one, serious. We're going to see how it goes. What did you think of that? I think Mr. Bin Salman represents a new <clears throat> lively leader, a young leader, pragmatic one, uh, who is very much interested in geopolitical affairs in the region as a whole and in the world. Uh, and I think uh, some of the steps he has made, like normalization with the, of relationship with Iran and uh, 
Also, the relationship with China and Russia shows that uh, there is uh, some kind of global thinking about the situation. On the issue of normalization, uh, there are several points I would like to clarify as a Palestinian. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, at this very moment, the Israeli government is uh, conducting a policy of annexation of the West Bank. Uh, They have increased the settlement building in an unprecedented rate. They have allowed settlers to conduct settler terror against Palestinian communities. An attack by Israeli settlers left cars and houses burned, 12 Palestinians injured and one dead. EU officials and other diplomats arrived to evaluate and to condemn. According to the accounts we have received from numerous sources, a group of settlers came here. I would call them terrorist settlers because they spread terror by shooting with live rounds and fire at Palestinians. More than that, Mr. Netanyahu stood up in the United Nations and insulted everybody by holding the new map of the Middle East that includes Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, and many Gulf countries. In the middle of it, there was Israel in a blue uh, color. Let me show you a map of the Middle East in 1948, the year Israel was established. Here's Israel in 1948. It's a tiny country isolated, surrounded by a hostile Arab world. Now look at what happens when we make peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel. The whole Middle East changes. And that Israel included the whole of the West Bank, all of Gaza, of course Jerusalem, as well as the Golan Heights. The man declared in the UN that he annexed actually these territories to Israel. And that's not new. I mean, his ministers are declaring that every day. They say there is no place for a Palestinian state. Uh, There is no place uh, for uh, ending occupation because they don't recognize that there is occupation. They claim that the whole Palestinian land is a land of Israel and it should be exclusive for Jewish people. And uh, such an Israel should not be normalized with. It should be boycott. Uh, There should be sanctions on it. And I mean by that all Arab countries, not just Saudi Arabia. Which brings us back to what Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman said about that in his interview with Fox News. For us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part. And we have a good negotiation to continue. Till now, we're going to see where it will go. We hope that it will reach a place that it will uh, ease the life of the Palestinians and uh, get Israel back, uh, as a player in Middle, the Middle East. Dr. Barakuti sees it differently. Improving the life of Palestinians means nothing to us. That is one way of saying we want to improve the conditions of enslavement of the Palestinian people under occupation or under the system of apartheid. This is an old uh, way of trying to deceive Palestinians. Some Palestinians, especially the Palestinian leadership and many Arabs were deceived in Oslo agreement by such statements. They mean nothing to us. The only way they can improve our life and improve our conditions is to end occupation and bring down the system of apartheid. Ending the occupation is something the people of Arab nations are united on. 
but people and their leaders don't always agree on how to get there. More on that after the break. The Inside Story podcast dissects, analyzes, and helps define major global stories. We get into the details with experts who explain how policies affect people. The Inside Story podcast by Al Jazeera. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Dr. Barguzzi, you mentioned earlier that normalization between Saudi and Israel isn't happening yet. But we saw the Israeli Minister of Tourism visit Saudi Arabia last Tuesday in a first. And recently, the Israeli Army Radio announced that the Minister of Communications is going to visit Saudi this week. How do you view those two visits? I see them as something that uh, is unfortunate and should not happen. And Israel is abusing them, obviously, to achieve two things, to create a feeling that there is already normalization with Saudi Arabia without providing anything, neither to Palestinians or to Saudis. And uh, second, uh, I think this encourages people like Netanyahu and his fascist government who declare every day that they will not allow a Palestinian state to be and that Palestinians should continue to be subjected to their system of occupation and apartheid. I believe uh, that the whole idea of normalization that came from Trump and uh, basically it was Netanyahu's ideas, but uh, packaged in an American package by Trump, it's all about uh, normalizing with Arab countries with one specific goal, uh, to marginalize and liquidate the Palestinian issue. Israel is not dangerous only for Palestinians. And when we warn against normalization, we're not just warning because it is a Palestinian matter. Uh, I believe Israel has one major uh, grand goal, and that is uh, to dominate the area and the region uh, militarily, to dominate the area politically, to dominate the area economically. Uh, They see themselves in competition with Iran and Turkey. And they see the whole area, the Arab countries, as only a field uh, and not uh, uh, equal partners. Besides the fact that I believe that Arab people are against normalization with Israel. Arab people are supportive of of Palestine. We've seen that so clearly and so obviously uh, during the Mondial in Qatar. Palestine's flag means a lot, especially at Qatar's World Cup. Here we feel that we can send the whole world a message, which is that Palestine will one day be free. Solidarity with Palestinians has run deep throughout the tournament, the first ever hosted by an Arab country. The flag that was raised everywhere and more than any other flag in in the Mondial was the Palestinian flag, although we did not have a team there. I think that is enough to be an indicator of how Arab peoples believe. And we hope that their governments would listen eventually to, to their feelings. You talked about the Arab people not wanting normalization. So what do the people in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip think of normalization? They're against it. 
And the minimum people will demand is that at least Israel should end first its occupation and allow Palestinian refugees to return to their homeland and allow Palestinians to exercise their right of self-determination. And after that, the Arab countries could normalize. Jordan and Egypt have peace agreements with Israel. Egypt since 1979, Jordan since 1994. But uh, is there normalization between the peoples of these countries and Israel? No. Netanyahu says he wants to build walls with these countries that have peace agreements with him. So what kind of normalization is that? And why is he turning the attention to countries like the Emirates and Saudi Arabia? These countries have never been in war with Israel. The Palestinians are in struggle with Israel because Israel is occupying us. So the whole thing is an act of distraction from the main issue, which is the Palestinian issue. Okay, I promised we would come back to this, the Arab Peace Initiative. 21 years ago, at a summit in Beirut, Lebanon, the Arab League endorsed a broad Saudi initiative to end the Arab-Israeli conflict, which later became known as the Arab Peace Initiative. Where does that stand today? I was in that Arab summit when hmm. that initiative was declared. And um, immediately after, I came back to the West Bank and it took only two days for Sharon to conduct a complete invasion of the whole West Bank and uh, Gaza and uh, to destroy the Oslo Agreement. Ariel Sharon, the late prime minister. After two years of uprising against 35 years of Israeli occupation, the amount of destruction is vast, as are the casualties. More than 2,000 Palestinians and more than 600 Israelis have been killed. Sharon refuses to negotiate with Arafat and has said that the Palestinians would be beaten back so soundly they would come begging for a truce. Can you tell me what you remember from being at the Arab summit at that time? What was it like? Well, uh, you know, the situation was very tense. Uh, As you know, the Palestinian leader was prevented from making his speech then, Yasser Arafat, and uh, there was a lot of tension. And uh, in general, we were in a total situation of emergency after the Second Intifada in Palestine. And uh, uh, there were some hopes when that initiative was declared, where it was declared, uh, but they vanished immediately. Bringing this back to Saudi, Saudi Arabia has been a supporter of Palestinians since 1948, when Israel was established. The kingdom gave Palestinians more than $5 billion, including direct support to the Palestinian Authority. But then Riyadh began cutting back this funding to the PA in 2016, after allegations of incompetence and corruption. And then that aid went down to zero in 2021. Last month, the Wall Street Journal newspaper released an exclusive, basically saying that Saudi Arabia is offering to resume financial support to the Palestinian Authority. The paper says the kingdom is trying to secure Abbas's support for open ties with Israel. Can you explain what resuming Saudi funding to the PA means? And what is it meant to not have it? I have no information about what you've just described or what Wall Street Journal described, but... 
Uh, Saudi is used to support the Palestinian Authority with $200 million, I think, per year. And then this, this, this has stopped. Emirates used to support with $70 million, and they've stopped that long time ago. And uh, uh, one thing that your audience should know is that uh, much of the Palestinian Authority funding comes from us, from the people, which we pay as taxes. 70% of that has to come through Israel. Israel has withheld $800 million of Palestinian tax money uh, illegally and in violation of international agreements. And Israel will continue to do so. So these $200 million will not make a big difference in the life of Palestinians. Uh, and uh, I do not think uh, that any of us would accept that uh, we can sell our national cause and our demand for freedom from occupation for a few hundred million dollars. Dr. Berguti, I wish you a long and healthy life. But with that said, do you think that you will see an end to occupation in your lifetime? I hope so. But what I want to see is not only the end of occupation. Uh, for me, this is uh, an old slogan, actually. I want to see the end of occupation, but also the return of all Palestinian refugees to their homelands, to the places they were displaced from, including Jaffa, Haifa, Akka, and others. And I, my life goal is to struggle not only to end occupation, but like many other people of my colleagues, it's to end also the system of apartheid in all of Palestine. This system of apartheid is not only affecting the population of Palestine living in West Bank and Gaza, the occupied territories, but also Palestinians who live in 1948 areas in what is called Israel today. And uh, I want to see the Golan Heights free also from this terrible occupation. So our goal is more than just ending occupation. It's ending this whole system of injustice that is affecting the future of everybody including, by the way, the Israelis themselves. No normalization will stop our struggle. No normalization will, uh, will make us stop struggling for our freedom, for our rights, and for justice in Palestine. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sari Al-Khalili and Sonia Bagat with Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, David Enders, Berenice Campana, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Chloe K. Lee, Zaina Bezer, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>